Hello, and welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. The Bible can be intimidating, right? How do we make sense of it all? And what does it mean for our lives? I think the Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Let me tell you a bit about myself. In my career, I've been a Mission Start pastor, a lead pastor, a national ministry coach, and for the last decade, I've had the privilege of serving on the Time of Grace team. Today we continue with our series that I've called The Grand Ands of the Bible. In this series, we are taking a look at significant pairs of Bible words connected with the word and. In the last episode, we looked at grace and peace. We explored how this phrase isn't just a New Testament phrase of greeting. Instead, we found a thread that links it back to the Old Testament blessing that God gave to his people, the Israelites. It's sometimes called the priestly blessing, simply because it was to be delivered by the priests. Grace and peace is a phrase that is packed with the comfort and confidence we have in God's grace and the peace he offers because of his grace. The grand and that we want to explore today is the phrase heaven and earth, which also occurs frequently in the Bible as heavens and earth. How many verses in the Bible can you recall from memory that use the phrase heaven and earth? Okay, maybe you can't remember chapter and verse for these, but how many can you recall? One? How about five? How about 42? Because that is how many times the phrase occurs. If we use the NIV translation, there are 27 occurrences of the phrase heaven and earth, singular, and another 15 occurrences of the phrase heavens and earth, plural. As we are going to see, this phrase doesn't always mean the same thing. An interesting fact about the phrase heaven and earth is how many times it is used in the Old Testament compared to the New. Of the 42 occurrences, 31 are found in the Old Testament and just 11 in the New. Now, why do you think that is? I'll leave that one for you to ponder, partly because I just don't know. Before we look at the phrase heaven and earth, perhaps it would be helpful to look individually at the Bible's usage of the two individual words translated as heaven and earth. Since the meaning of heaven is far more complex, uh, let's start with the simpler word earth. If we crack open our Bibles or open a Bible app, We don't have to go very far to find the first occurrence of the word earth. The first two verses of Genesis 1 state, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We'll talk about the phrase in just a bit. But let's look first at the word earth. In the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, The word is Eretz. In Genesis 1, the word Earth refers to the third planet in our solar system. Genesis 1 tells us that God created it on the first day of his six-day creation process. 
It is the planet on which we live. All 7.8 billion of us. Yet when God created the earth, there wasn't a single person yet living on the earth. Can you imagine a time when no one lived on this planet? That tells us that planet earth wasn't just the third rock from the sun. God designed it to be the living space for human beings. Also in chapter 1, we learn of a second meaning of the word Eretz. In chapter 1, verse 10, the word is used to distinguish the two major surface areas of the earth. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. So the Hebrew word Eretz can refer to the planet as a whole, or to the land masses on the planet, which aren't covered with water. We also find a few other adaptations of these two meanings. For example, in 2 Chronicles 13, the word is used to refer to a specific region or area of the planet. But didn't you drive out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and make priests of your own as the peoples of other lands do? By the way, these words were spoken by Judah's king Abijah who was the great-grandson of King David. Abijah was accusing the rebel king of Israel, Jeroboam, of disobeying God by setting up his own worship practices like the people of other lands, other regions, areas. The word can even refer to countries. In the New Testament, there is one word that encompasses all of the same aspects as we find in the Old Testament, the planet, land masses, regions, and countries. But the word for earth in the New Testament is also used to contrast those things originating in heaven and those originating on the earth. For example, John the Baptist was asked a question about Jesus, and he responded by saying, He, namely Jesus, must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. You see the contrast? Another way that it is used in the New Testament is to contrast the unspiritual worldly attitudes and actions with what it means to be spiritually focused. In his letter to the Christians living in Colossae, the New Testament writer Paul went into detail about what he meant by earthly things, compared with heavenly or spiritual things. This is a great section to see the contrast. Let me read the opening section from chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices 
and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So the word translated as earth in the Bible refers to the planet on which we live, or portions of the planet, and then in the New Testament, it is also used as a metaphor for the unspiritual nature of the people living on the planet, in contrast with the spiritual things of God. By the way, there is another word related to the concept of earth. It is the Hebrew word Adama, which means soil or ground. In God's creation of mankind on day six of his creating activity, God forms the first man out of the dust of the ground, Adama. As a potter today makes a beautiful work of art out of the dust of the earth, so God made his creation of the first human being from the soil of the earth. And what does God call this first man who was created out of the ground? Adam, related to the word Adama. In English, we just pronounce it Adam. Let's now dive into the word translated as heaven or heavens, which is the first half of our grand and for today. As I said earlier, the word translated in the Bible as heaven is more complex than the word for earth. From what we find in the Bible, there are actually three different heavens. Now, this isn't some new concept. The idea of three different heavens has been around for thousands of years because it is a thread running through the Bible. Let's take a look at each of the three heavens. One way the Bible uses the word heaven is to describe the sky or the atmosphere that encircles the earth. It's the area where the birds fly and where you find water vapor in the form of clouds or rain. This heaven is, is spoken of often in the Old Testament. For example, in Genesis 2.19, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. Or in Deuteronomy, The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. In Lamentations uh, chapter 4, the prophet Jeremiah laments, Our pursuers were swifter than eagles in the sky. In the New Testament book of Acts, uh, the author Dr. Luke describes this heaven. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who had been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So how many times did the angels say the word heaven? It was four. Although the NIV translates the first two occurrences as sky in these verses, and the second two occurrences as heaven, the Greek word that Dr. Luke uses is the same in all four occurrences. Sky and heaven are interchangeable. So let's talk a little science. From an atmospheric perspective, this first heaven would refer to the lowest layer of the Earth's atmosphere, known as the troposphere. The troposphere is the layer of atmosphere from ground level to, say, about six or so miles up into the sky. The troposphere contains about 75% of all the air in the atmosphere, and almost all of the water vapor, which forms clouds and rain. It's the only layer in the atmosphere in which birds can live. 
This is the first heaven. A second way the Bible uses the word heaven is to describe the universe which exists beyond the sky. It is where you find the sun, moon, stars, other planets, comets, quasars, and galaxies. In Psalm 19, the psalmist David wrote, In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Jesus spoke about this second heaven when he described what will happen to it on the last day. You can read this in Matthew 24. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Sun, moon, stars, and everything you can see beyond the sky. This is the second heaven. The third heaven is the dwelling place of God. It's the invisible realm of God's holiness. It's also the home of the children of God, the current home of the souls of believers who have already died, and the future eternal home of all believers to whom God will give a glorified body. You know, Solomon, when he dedicated the temple in Jerusalem, spoke about this heaven. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Jesus himself acknowledged the residence of his heavenly Father when he encouraged his followers. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The New Testament writer Paul specifically calls the place where God dwells the third heaven. In a second letter to the Christians living in Corinth, he describes an amazing event. He says, I know a man in Christ. And by the way, when Paul says he knows a man in Christ, he's actually here talking about himself. He doesn't want to draw attention to himself, so he refers to himself in the third person. But that's not anything unique. We've heard people use this approach, usually famous people, actors, sports stars, and others who refer to themselves in the third person. You've heard that, haven't you? The difference, however, between Paul and these famous people is that many of the famous people actually do want to draw attention to themselves, don't you think? Anyway, back to what Paul described. I know a man in Christ who, 14 years ago, was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. Can you imagine such an experience? To experience the dwelling place of God? Hearing things that no one was permitted to tell? The experience left Paul speechless. But you know, someday, we're going to experience what Paul experienced. On the pages of the Bible, there are numerous different ways the third heaven, where God dwells, is referred to. Jesus described it as his father's house with many rooms. Jesus, when he spoke to the thief on the cross, called it paradise. In Galatians, Hebrews, and Revelation, it's called the heavenly Jerusalem, a city where God dwells. 
Matthew, James, and Peter referred to it either as the kingdom of heaven, the eternal kingdom, or the eternal inheritance. The author of Hebrews called it a better country. Now, there's an understatement. There are also many descriptions of what heaven will be like for us. We'll sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We'll enjoy rest without suffering or tears. We'll rule with Christ. We'll enjoy life everlasting in the presence of God. And a biggie is is that there will be no more death. This is the third heaven. I can't wait to experience. How about you? With this understanding of earth and heaven, what does the phrase heaven and earth refer to across the pages of the Bible? As best as I can tell, there are only two ways the phrase heaven and earth is used. The most frequent usage is to refer to all that God created, as we read about in Genesis 1 and 2. Of the 42 occurrences of this phrase in both the Old Testament and New Testament, all of them refer to God as creator or to his creation of heaven and earth. In a couple of these occurrences, we get some additional insight into heaven and earth that God created. Jesus tells us that heaven and earth will pass away. The New Testament author Peter also wrote, The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So the Bible tells us that the heavens and earth that God created are going to go away someday, to be destroyed, to go out of existence. Which leads us to the second way the phrase heaven and earth is used. Okay, first I have a confession to make. There aren't just 42 occurrences of our grand and for today. There are actually four more. But now to defend myself, there's something different about these four because a word, a short adjective with major significance is added. It's the word new. Two of the four occurrences are from the Old Testament and two from the new. It's another thread that runs through the Bible. The prophet Isaiah, who lived at a time when God's people didn't have much hope for the future because of their past disobedience of God, God gave them hope. In chapter 65, Isaiah wrote, and this is God talking through Isaiah, he says, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. God told them that their present sufferings couldn't be compared to what he had planned in the future in his new heavens and earth. In the next chapter, Isaiah refers again to the new heavens and the new earth. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. So let's jump to the New Testament. Peter affirmed what Isaiah said would be new. Peter wrote, But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, where righteousness dwells. And then there is John in the book of Revelation who wrote, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Interesting. The new heavens and earth aren't going to have any oceans. 
The current heaven and the current earth are going to be gone one day, and they will be replaced by new heavens and a new earth. I think sometimes we Christians picture heaven as just being the third heaven, where God dwells with his angels and unspeakable things are spoken. But that's not the picture the Bible paints. No, what we call heaven will actually be new heavens and a new earth. Tim Keller, in a sermon he preached entitled The Dangerous God, described it this way. The old world, the old you, the old everything will come to an end. It'll be a funeral and a birth at the same time. The birth of the new world, the new you, the new heavens, and the new earth. Think about that. Heaven and earth. It's one of the grand ands of the Bible. It's one of those Bible threads that span the entire Bible, literally, from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, to the book of Revelation, and it's amazing pictures of what it will be like to spend eternity with God and our fellow believers. I hope that this grand and will remind you that the very best of this world can never compare with what God has in store for us in the new heavens and the new earth. I also hope that it reminds you that the worst of this world is only temporary, just a dot on the line of eternity. And finally, I, I hope you find in this grand and the comfort and confidence that is ours through God's grace today and his promises for tomorrow. If you would like a fresh perspective on eternal life with God, I invite you to check out Pastor Mike Novotny's latest book entitled, Three Words That Will Change Your Life. It's a great book with great insights. The three words, by the way, are God, all caps, is here. Go to our website, timeofgrace.org, to get a copy for your best gift. That's timeofgrace.org. Thanks for listening. Join me next time for another show from our Bible Threads series entitled, The Grand Ands of the Bible. May God bless you.